Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Red Pill Your Healthcast. My name is Dr. Charlie Fagenholtz, and we are here with Lauren Johnson, everyone's favorite, favorite nurse practitioner. And we have a topic that is a very broad topic. And we just want to basically uh, shine some light on, on a word or a uh, topic that is turned into a buzzword. So Lauren, let, let the people know what topic we're going to talk about, and then we'll do a deep dive for them. Okay, so we are going to talk about histamine today. This word, you might recognize it from some regular medications that a lot of people take called antihistamines. And they are these antihistamines are thrown around as if they are just benign drugs that help, but don't have any side effects. But we actually do know that these antihistamines do have, especially long-term use, do have side effects. But the bigger issue is why are you needing these antihistamines? Mm. Histamine is such a big factor in today's world, and it's part of the modern world we live in. Some of the environmental exposures we'll talk about later, but it's it's histamine intolerance or histamine issues don't exist in a vacuum. Like they, it's not there by itself, and that is the problem. It's there because of other things that are present, mm -hmm. and so we need to understand that histamine is important. You don't want to not have histamine. If you don't have enough histamine, that can slow your wound healing, your immune system. You may not be able to mount a fever. It's not a good thing to completely get rid of all histamine, but we also need a balance. You need it in the right places. You don't want it being released from the cell. You want it, you also want it being broken down well. And so we'll, we'll talk about how the Dow enzyme is part of that player is that that mechanism is if you don't have enough Dow enzyme, then you're not going to be breaking it down. So even if you have a normal production of histamine, you may not be able to break it down well. So there's so many factors that we will go into here. So first let's talk about what are some of the signs of histamine issues? Yeah. So before I even get into that, I, I like how you said that it's, it's a balance, right? You have, you, you don't want to have too little. You don't want to have too much. It's very synonymous with cortisol. Yes. Both of them are essentially you don't want too high. You don't want too low, but you need it in certain times. And so, uh, Everyone knows the classic, the classic symptoms of histamine is itching, rashes, itching, hives. Uh, that's what most people will associate it to. However, histamine is also extremely relevant in things like headaches and menstrual cramps and a lot of things, a lot of pain that people experience all the time that are so common that they're called normal when they're really just common. And so uh, a lot of times people don't even know what histamine is. You know, what histamine actually is, is carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen at its core level, right? Back to chemistry 101. But it has so many different uh, functions in the body. It's really a neurotransmitter. It's it's a, I don't want to call it a hormone because it's hormones have to be secreted from endocrine glands and it's not secreted from glands, um, but it is very, very like a hormone. It's a chemical messenger that uh, at the local level regulates inflammation. And that's where you are starting to get those hives. That's where you start getting, um, swelling and things like that. But in the nervous system, it's actually a neurotransmitter and it's an excitatory neurotransmitter, which is a big, big clinical pearl yes. because it's at the root of so many of our issues from 
insomnia to um, chronic headaches to fatigue, irritability, like all that type of stuff that happens over time. Uh, and so it's extremely common, but like cortisol, uh, it's turned into something that we have to, that we've demonized when it's really just our lifestyle and society that creates issues in it. And then we go and blame it. Yeah. I mean, you, you think of histamine as asthma, you right. think of histamine and you're, and you're saying, well, that's a genetic thing. My mom had that, but is it genetic or is it the environmental exposures as well as the maybe the genetic predisposition, but the epigenetic changes that have occurred that have yep. changed the way that gene is being expressed, which we will talk about how, okay, MTHFR, for example, that will automatically increase histamine because you're not methylating well. But yep. if you, even if you don't have the MTHFR gene, you could not be methylating well. And we will link our methylation podcast in the show notes, but you could not be methylating well, and then you're still and you still have a, an accumulation of histamine. Mm -hmm. It is this is not taught in conventional schools. I will tell you that straight up, like this is not taught. Histamine issues can look like frequent urination. It could look like bladder pain. It could look like lots of bedwetting, which we're going to see that you know some of these things will say, oh, well, that's parasites. You know, that's a common issue with parasites. Well, parasites will drive up histamine. Yeah. EMF sensitivity will, will, is another factor that if you're really high in histamine, then you are going to be more sensitive to EMFs. You are going to have more dizziness. You might be running around outside that you're going for a run. You might be super red in the face um, and that it lasts for a long time. And then you might get dizzy and that can be a sign of, of, of histamine. You know, what's interesting is we're talking about histamine but we've essentially done all of the causes of histamine issues on yeah. previous podcasts. We have. And we even the hormones one, because yep. one of the big factors with histamine issues is estrogen. Mm -hmm. And that will definitely increase his, too much estrogen will increase histamine release. So yep. if you notice an increase in your migraines and your ovulation pain and nausea around your around ovulation and, and during and before and usually a little after, then you're probably having some histamine issues. This can also be a factor in miscarriages though too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I'll say is histamine essentially is the, uh, I will, I'll call it the missing link. A lot of times when, when people list, have listened to us, excuse me, they're like, you know, okay, so how does parasites cause bedwetting? How does estrogen dominance cause my headaches? Histamine is the link. Histamine yeah. will cause the bladder muscle to constrict, which will cause you to wet the bed. Now, parasites will drive up that histamine, but the histamine is the actual biochemical mechanism that's causing it. As, as you said, Lauren, when you are estrogen dominant, when you have too much toxic estrogen, then your mast cells, which is one of two cells that secrete histamine, are more sensitized. So that means that they're more likely to release histamine with lower inputs, so to speak. So it won't take as much toxins to get them to, uh, to release the histamine. So the, this is like the missing link or the unspoken link of so much of our issues and what we've talked about. Yeah. And you know, a couple other things, candida or yeast issues mm -hmm. that is related to histamine as well. I mean, how, yep. how common is that? And so that, that goes into eczema, but that also goes into women having reoccurrent 
yeast issues or yeast infections, and it could be you know, obviously yeast in the gut. We yep. see motion sickness. How many people get motion sick? Okay, this was me. This was, I could not ride in a car, even in the city. It wasn't even a road trip without being nauseous. And this is really where I used a lot of oils in the beginning because I, I would just hold the oils under my nose because I would get so nauseous. And now I don't at all. And why is that? Because I have worked on some of those root causes, including parasites, including, you know, uh, bacterial overgrowth in certain areas, things that I am methylation. If you're, if you're not methylating well, you're going to have a higher risk histamine. And so these are things that we see with histamine issues. We also see a lot of dark circles under the eyes and with a lot of food sensitivities. And that is part of it too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, um, the thing that we keep talking about is methylation yeah. and, uh, Lauren, you already kind of talked about one of them is the DAO, right? That, yeah. that comes from methylation. That is DAO. And I, off the top of my head, I can't remember what it stands for. Do you have it written down? Diamine oxidase. So, yeah. Some along those lines. <laughs> and so, but what that does is it degrades histamine in the gut, whereas the other, epigenetic gene pathway is the HMNT yes. gene, which is 100% related to the MTHFR uh, uh, methylation gene, which is, it produces what we remember we were talking about SAMe. SAMe directly goes and influences uh, that HMNT. Um, and then another one for folks who are like, okay, so you can take DAO or the nutrients that make it work proper are vitamin C, iron, copper, B6, and B12. And if you uh, have been listening to us, and if you think about what those, those nutrients do, one, it all revolves around anemia. Because iron, obviously, if you're low on iron, is, is anemia, but you need vitamin C, B12, and copper to absorb your iron. So this is again why parasites, which cause you to be anemic, will destroy the ability to make that DAO. And now you have a lot of histamine in your gut and where when it has nowhere to go, it floods into your system. And now you start getting on your skin and your bladder and all that type of stuff. So that's the clinical pearl there with the, um, with the, uh, the DAO and the parasites. Yeah. And so a lot of the things, you know, there are other factors that can increase histamine issues. One thing that we don't think, think about is histamine, high histamine foods. Mm. And a lot of these foods are really, some of them are, are healthy for you. Like avocado, that's supposed to be good for you, right? Sardines, yeah, tuna, shellfish, rice, vinegar, eggplant, spinach, these are any leftovers. Anything spinach is a big one. I'm glad you said one. that. Spinach yeah. is a big one because so many people think that spinach and kale and avocado yeah. are healthy and, and and they do have okay properties, but again, there's defense mechanisms me mechanisms in them and they're high histamine foods. So if, if you are someone who's riddled with parasites or estrogen dominant or liver on mold or have a ton of mental stress. These foods just could set you over the edge in your histamine um, loads. And that's why you might notice an increase in symptoms after you have a smoothie with a ton mm. of spinach and kale. And that is actually a good way to test it is to go eat a or have some alcohol too. And mm. you'll, and if you notice you're bloating and you're flushed and you don't feel well, especially if you have a big headache, 
that's a good sign that you don't, you don't tolerate, you have some misdemeanor intolerance. That brings me to a couple points. One is alcohol is a big factor with histamine issues. If you can't have a glass of wine without, especially if it's a good quality wine without flushing or feeling swollen, then you are probably having some histamine issues, but any drinks, kombucha, uh, beer, any of those things, beer is made from yeast. Yeast has acetyl alcohol. Um, so let's talk about how alcohol will just shut down methylation too and feed the yeast. And then we, you know, we're, we're creating this big issue. Yeah. So alcohol, obviously what happens uh, when people drink alcohol is they call it breaking the seal, right? You ha- you hold in urinating and then all of a sudden you go once, and then you have to go 10 more times in the next two hours. And what it's doing is it's just depleting all of your B vitamins. How does our methylation cycles work? off of B vitamins. And so not only are you depleting the nutrients that make your detox, that make literally every process in your body work properly, but you're also feeding all the pathogens that take advantage when you can't detox properly. And, uh, people think that we blow it out of proportion, you know, it's, oh, it's alcohol can't be that bad. There's studies that say, if you drink moderately, you live longer. Well, you know, who's that studies paid, who, who pays for those studies, right? And they've actually done recent studies that have disproven that. So yeah. I don't, well, well anyone's going to be able to disprove it as long as it's not Anheuser Bush and, uh, that are behind the funding of the, yeah, and, uh, whoever else wants to do it. Um, I don't know, Ciroc or, or kettle one or some, some, uh, alcohol company. So, so other things that also to think in mind, keep in mind about increasing histamine, a lot of additives and foods will increase histamine. Like uh, sodium benzoate is in tons of stuff, sulfites, nitrites, glutamate. What is it? I mean, is that why you don't feel so good after you have Chinese food? Food dyes are another one that will also liberate histamine. Basically what we're getting at folks is everything in society is creating a massive histamine response, Mm -hmm. which is why it was so brilliant of big pharma to create antihistamines because that's going to, I can only imagine we talk about vaccines making money. I can only imagine how much money they make off antihistamines. And can I just tell you how expensive those new ones are? Because this is what, this is what started me down the natural path. Okay. I was on three antihistamines plus singular. And I was on several reflux drugs too. Zizol is the, is the newer one. And that stuff is like $25, $30 a box for, for a month supply. I was on nose sprays. I was on it all. How and are I'm you not functioning? on any of it anymore. I, how are how how you functioning at this state? I got off of it all in two weeks. I was so done with it because it two was weeks. It was not working for me and I felt horrible. And yeah. then at that point, I just got really mad. And that's kind of where my Instagram was born out of that because I was so mad that I wasn't taught about any of the other natural remedies. And I was just, this is ridiculous. So other, we were talking about environmental exposures that increase histamine. Let's talk about yep. for a second, BPA and plastics. And those things will also per- decrease your ability to break down histamine. Fat, uh, seed oils, inflammatory seed oils, um, the oxida- the oxidization, that will also eat up your ability to break down histamine um, and, and release histamine. And so we have lots of factors here that are going to increase histamine as well as we don't, I don't think we've mentioned mold. Yeah, mold secretes mycotoxins. Mycotoxins uh, increase that TH2 dominance that 
if you haven't listened to our allergy podcast, go back and listen to that. Cause essentially what all these things that we're talking about, uh, and plus pesticides that we haven't mentioned yet, yes. like glyphosate, what they do, BPA, parasites, mold, uh, I'll throw in their caffeine and alcohol. They'll increase your TH2 dominance, which is the part of the immune system that again, gets those mast cells to release histamine very easily. And so as we've said in the past, we basically are a TH2 dominant society for the most part. And our strategies need to basically find the factors that are increasing our TH2 to balance out our immune system. And then we will be able to normalize our histamine. Because again, as, as Lawrence said, opened up this podcast with was, it's not that we need to demonize histamine. We just have to understand what it is and we have to understand how to regulate it because we do need it. It is essential for our survival, essentially. It's just a sh like, like cortisol. It's a short-term system that we as a society have put it into long-term use. And that's when we do not function well and start to break down. Yeah. You know, and I, I got to mention one more thing. NSAIDs, <laughs> ibuprofen will... Oh, yeah be a big factor in histamine. Is it any, is there any surprise that when I was having all these histamine issues on all these histamine drugs that I was taking ibuprofen three and four times a week because I was having headaches all the time. Yeah. Is that any, is there any surprise there? And so you, that will also increase histamine metformin, aspirin, um, certain painkillers will as well. And of course, birth control. Do you guys understand yet that as Lauren just said, she was on a bunch of medication that required more medication. And basically what pharma's, I'll, I'll call it a genius plan because, you know, you got to call a spade a spade. It's genius for them to come out with, with meds that create the need for other meds. So it's the gift that keeps on giving and they make trillions of dollars off of us. It is, it is a brilliant, brilliant business model, but that's exactly what it is, is a business model. And by now, if you've been listening to us long enough, you understand that. But, but think about what Lauren just said, that she had to be on NSAIDs to deal with the headaches that was caused by her other meds. Every commercial you've ever watched, more than 75% of that commercial, if it's a pharmaceutical drug commercial, is all about side effects. And if you pay close attention, uh, if you watch TV, I, I don't really watch TV. I just know that they exist because I have watched TV in the past. Uh, there's some intense side effects and um, that's stuff that we do not want to play around. So I just had to point that out that it is it is a brilliant business model, touche to big pharma, um, but well, it's time interesting. to take Yeah. The U.S. and New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that allow pharmaceutical ads. That's right. And this is why we have people coming into offices saying, well, hey, what about this drug? And yep. a doctor is, is kind of busy and they're, you know, they, they don't necessarily, they're not opposed to it. They're like, okay. So sometimes, and they don't want to get to the root cause. So they don't have, they don't even know about the root cause or they just don't have time. Yeah. And I'd say both, both. It's definitely both. And so it's this twofold problem of not really caring enough to get, and not really knowing enough to get to the root cause but then also just not having enough time. But then these patients are like, well, this, I've heard this helps, but you would think that they would hear the long list of side effects and, but people are just so miserable and I get it. I get it. I've been there. The, we're in uh, a society that's like an instant gratification society. 
So they want something that will take away their pain or that will numb them quickly because that's their only motivating factor. Their only motivating factor, essentially, for most people, I know there's people who listen to this who totally understand where we're coming from, but they just want to get out of pain. They just want to be able to sleep. They just want to do whatever they need to do in their life that hopefully can happen in the first 24 hours of taking something. And so we've been conditioned to think that that is possible and that it's the right way. And yes, it's possible to do that in root cause therapies. I've seen it done, but it is not the majority because it took years to get you to where you're at. And so in homeopathy, they say for every year, you have to do one month of treatment. That makes sense. I mean, it, it took me, I mean, this is still a journey. Yeah. I don't think, cause we're all, it's a modern day fishbowl of exposures. Totally. We can't control for everything. And, you know, we, most homes that have mold 80%, I think is what they say, especially where I live in a very, you know, just next near a river. It is something that you need to contend with. Now, I'm not saying mold is okay to have in your home. You shouldn't address it because you should, but it depends on the situation and like how it's interacting with your family, your genetics, and what type of mold it is and all of that. But mold is a big driver of this too. Yeah, molds, mold and mycotoxins are a huge TH, TH2 dominance driver. Um, all right, so let's talk about what we can do uh, I know we're going to plug a bunch of our podcasts. So look, guys, we did one on mold. We did one on estrogen and hormones. We did one on EMF. EMF's another huge one. Um, we've done them on chemtrails and pesticides. Which that's a uh, factor. Yeah. We, <laughs> we, did I really say parasites? Yeah, parasite. We, yeah. Oh, I don't think you said it, but yes, we have them. Okay, parasites. All of the stuff that we've talked in those is what's going to help you with histamine. But let's talk about some very specific ways to handle that excess histamine that helps from a natural perspective on how to clear it quicker. But you got to understand that the root causes are of all the stuff we just talked about, we've done previous podcasts. So we're not going to reiterate all of that. Go back and listen to those. And then what we list, what we list now is going to be more of like how to help uh, when you have excess histamine to maybe coincide with getting at the root cause. Well, and I do think step one, no matter what, even if we're doing these other histamine supports, it's also going to be supporting methylation. So I do think I'm going to say that we have other histamine supports, of course, but a foundational step for most people is supporting methylation. If you are under methylating, you have a higher histamine level. Usually if you are over methylating, you usually have a lower histamine level, but that's a very small minority of people that typically are over methylating. Yeah. What's interesting is I'm in the middle of uh, a very in-depth methylation course. Yeah. And um, when I did my methylation video in the membership and I talked about people being over methylators, having a CBS gene issue that my teacher right now was saying that, that she used to think that, but then when she started treating patients, what she said was that it wasn't that they became over methylators. It's that their mitochondria didn't have enough energy to keep up. Makes sense. And so what I started doing was I started testing people and and this isn't the majority by any means. This is definitely more the minority of patients that I've treated, but I started switching over to Regenerzyme Heart from InspiraCell, which does more of the mitochondria. And then people were able to 
handle those methylated Bs, which we used to say were over methylators and CBS gene issue stuff. So this is something new that I've just come across that I've been experimenting with. And I thought it would be a good uh, time to bring that up. Yeah, I actually had felt that shift and I was already looking at the differences. And I do think that because both do support methylation, but in different ways, because you see more of the Inspire cell with the neurotransmitter stuff, which may be helpful for a person with panic attacks or with uh, anxiety. That might be helpful. But some of these things you're not going to know until either you take it and you, and that sometimes is, is the best solution. If you don't, if you can't get in with the frequency muscle tester, you, you can't, if you can't get in to get tested or seen then, and you obviously, if you get a genetics test, you really are going to have a hard time reading that. I mean, anybody will, unless you are trained in it. And so sometimes it is just testing and just trying and seeing how you feel and just really tuning into your body, but shifting over to a regenerative heart instead of the Inspire cell will support methylation. Yep. Right. And, and that's a lot of people are always ask me, they're so similar. Do I take both or how do I choose? And my, my answer to that is you could take both theoretically, because there are slight differences that are still major differences. And so if you are a person who knows that you don't methylate properly with MTHFR stuff, and you go more towards the, as Lauren said, the panic, the anxiety, the neurotransmitter stuff, Inspire Cell would be my first choice. If you're the person who knows that you have that, but fatigue is your biggest thing and you just feel like you are just exhausted all the time, that's when I go a little more Regenerzyme Heart because it's a, it has a little bit more things in there for mitochondria, like the citrulline and some other stuff in there, the NAC. Um, and then I also will say that I use Regenerzyme Heart more when it comes to adrenal and ovary testy type stuff, like reproductive stuff, because at the end of the day, the reason why we have fertility issues is because we are damaging our mitochondria of our reproductive organs. And that Regenerzyme Heart is that mitochondrial uh, supplement. Which is also helpful because it is a good prenatal. That's right. Along with some other supports, along with some other supports, it is a good prenatal that supports methylation. Yep. Okay. So that's number one. So methylation is number one. You have to do anything methylation. And also this doesn't negate all the foundations too that are applicable here, like indoor air environment, being a yeah. big promoter of histamine because you're exposed to things constantly breathing it in, you know, trying to use more glass food storage when you can, or at least don't heat up the food in plastic yeah. um, or to try not to use a microwave in general, get an air fryer, stainless steel air fryer, do the stove top, reheat in the instant pot, use the oven there. I am a, I, I have to do things fast too. And I use those things and it works. And does work. so uh, you can do it. Just just slowly fade from the microwave if you can. Okay, so uh, plastics will definitely, but definitely heated up plastics will definitely be an issue. And other things like like fragrance and other things that just really gum up all of your receptors and are not needed, and they just cause more inflammation. So that those are foundations, and then we have methylation, and then what's the next step? Well, clean water too. Yeah. Yeah. Clean water. Um, and then, you, you know, I think we're preaching to the choir when we talk about toothpaste and deodorants and stuff like that. Um, but I wrote down three of my favorite uh, herbs and supplements that help with histamine uh, breakdown and regulation. And one that we don't talk a lot about is Astragalus Supreme. Astragalus is amazing for immune system regulation, which is really why it helps with the TH1, TH2 
balance. Uh, it's great for adrenals. It's great for immune, uh, I said immune system. Uh, but another one that people ask me all the time on Instagram, and uh, I don't know why I've kept this in my back pocket for so long, is it helps with sperm motility. And that's a really big one. A lot of people ask that question. So astragalus is my go-to supplement for sperm motility, but it's great, great, great for histamine regulation. Uh, the one that I talk about more on Instagram is Hatunia Supreme. It's great for stabilizing that mast cell. So if you are someone who has like, we haven't even talked about mast cell activation syndrome, uh, Hatunia is one that I will usually add to somebody who has a lot of that histamine going on. And then you and I have talked about Camu Supreme, vitamin C. It's yeah. in so many products like Dehist. Uh, vitamin C is probably the oldest trick in the book when it comes to histamine. And it's a it's a low histamine uh, vitamin C that's given that whole food complex. Yep. It is safe for kids. Like I give like a you know a fourth to sometimes a third of a capsule, sometimes a little bit more, and or even split it throughout the day to my kids. That is the vitamin C of choice that I give to my children when I am increasing their vitamin C. And we mentioned Hatunia. Do you use Albizia? Albizia, I will. Um, I'll use Albizia when someone has uh, some anxiety, depression, more of that stress response plus allergies. Which that relates to histamine, though, because that can oh, I yeah. mean, that, that anxiety um, that you have that can definitely be a histamine thing. And yeah. so Albizia can be a really good cross. I mean, herbs are multifunctional. You're not just giving an herb for one thing. And so it, while it can be helpful for histamine, it can also be helpful for anxiety and depression. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about quercetin? I, I love DHS junior for kids. I, that is something that, and it has nettles in there. It has some NAC in there. It has bromelain, which is like, it helps to thin the mucus. And so I do love DHS junior. It's okay for daily use even, or it's okay for here and there use for kids. And it's a great histamine support. DHIS is the adult version of that. And that does a great job too. Um, the one thing that I'm playing around with, with quercetin okay, is because the reason why is because so many people, the reason why people know what quercetin is these days is because of COVID. It's right? all because of COVID. Oh yeah. It's all like if, if I went to someone on the street who has no clue about their health, who just walked out of an Arby's or McDonald's and I said, Hey, do you know what vitamin D zinc quercetin and NAC are? They would probably say <laughs> yes at this point. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so one of my things with quercetin, and again, I've seen it work great for histamine stuff and allergies done. I mean, yeah. dehist I've seen work wonders for people yeah. is that quercetin will shut down the COMT gene similar to what green tea will do as well. And the COMT gene is one of two that has been uh, the most common uh, epigenetic shifts in my patient load of people uh, on top of it's been VDR, vitamin D receptor and COMT. COMT is what breaks down your catecholamine. So your dopamine, your adrenaline, and it breaks down your estrogen and it breaks down your serotonin. And so when we are overloaded, say someone has uh, a recessive gene issue with COMT or homogenous, either one, and we're overloading on quercetin and they start getting really uh, like... Um, it doesn't have to be, it could be anxiety, but it could be aggression too, just in general. Uh, it could be because of that COMT gene thing. So I'm starting to 
see, you know, if someone has the COMT gene, I start testing quercetin on them just to see what muscle testing tells me. Cause this is just what literature says. And again, I always like to put it to the test in clinical practice. Cause if, again, if literature was always correct, there would be no such thing as doctors because all the literature would be proper or correct. And you would be able to heal all of your stuff. And so this is just my, where my mind is and how I, I try to uh, really navigate and investigate everything I hear. And um, that one really fascinated me because COMT is, like I said, one of two of the most common methylation defects that I see clinically now. Well, what about things like luteolin? Yeah, luteolin's great. So I wonder how that would... It still affects the COMT gene. Okay. Yeah, luteolin in the ECGC and green tea um, and root are, are all, uh, do apparently have the same effect on the COMT gene. Okay. Again, I've, I've only been messing around with this for like a month. I don't think it's going to be on quercetin forever. I, I, I don't think anybody should, because it can deplete you of iodine and yeah. there's a few other issues with it. So I don't think it's going to be on it forever, but we are talking about stabilization. So it could be it's, helpful short term. Yeah, It's kind of like the, is it the pros outweighing the cons? And again, like you yeah. said, is it short term versus long term? That's really what it's about folks. And so this is just something that, uh, that I'm playing around with in clinical practice Thought I should say it. Yeah. Yeah. So other things that I will use with histamine support that are more in the acute phase are something like, if, especially if you're going to go out to eat and have something that might be a food sensitivity, I will use histamine block, which is mm. Dow enzyme. I use the seeking health uh, brand before we go. And that is a huge help to help block that histamine release from that food sensitivity or the oils and all the things that are, you know, in, in restaurant foods. Now, should you be eating restaurant foods daily and doing this daily? No, you should not. Right. And so <laughs> this does not replace all the foundations at home, but it is a helpful thing to have as needed. Yeah. And one of the things that's really interesting, if you just think about this concept is in the presence of good stomach acid, when your stomach pH is low, which means it's more acidic, histamine turns off. And so a lot of people will say, okay, so is mast cell activation syndrome and histamine release and excess histamine really due to just a dead stomach? And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And that's again, you know, health starts in the gut and that's one of the big ones. I think that's funny because thiamine deficiency can be a big factor or B1 in, in methylation and yep. in panic and anxiety, but it can also be a big factor in stomach acid. Yeah. It's and one so, of the things that creates it. So like, is that all related there? I mean, and that is, that was one of my big issues was acid reflux. That is interesting. You know, yeah. I, and think be- about, think about what you said earlier was alcohol. What does alcohol deplete the most? B1. All of the alcoholics, all of the people who love the alcohol, always, always depleted on B1. And besides stomach acid, what else does B1 regulate? Heart rhythm. So what does everyone get? They get arrhythmias and you know, it depletes their B1 and their magnesium. And those together are your natural pacemaker. The yes. body is completely connected, folks. And like Lauren said, it's so fascinating. And if you just take a step back and look at what these things do, we can figure out a lot of really cool stuff just by simply thinking through uh, chemical processes. 
You know, and I think it's important to take a step back and look at your body. Like how amazing is it? And appreciate it because when you are in the throes of histamine intolerance or MCAS, it can feel like your body hates you Mm. and because you're not sleeping. Probably. I know you're not sleeping because insomnia is a big factor with histamine intolerance. You're reacting to everything. You, you can't take your normal supplements or all these foods and you're just, and when it's really bad, then you're reacting to everything. You're miserable. Probably you're probably more anxious. Uh, you're definitely tired because you're not sleeping that well. And so it can feel like your body hates you and it doesn't, your body is for you. You're, you're meant to heal. It's just a matter of figuring out the right steps and the right pieces. 100%. Okay. So we went through the herbs. What about PEA? Do you ever use PEA? I don't personally. I, I Not that I don't know what it is. I've never used it uh, clinically with patients. So I, I can't really speak to any experience with it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a good histamine support as is chamomile and mm. like turmeric and things like that. But yeah. What about la- is lavender antihistamine too? It's histamine properties. Yeah. I, I will use it, especially for like, if you have uh, a, a bee sting, if you mm. are a burn and you have that histamine, it will, it will help right away. And cool. so I will dilute it. I had brought, I had brought lavender with me to a wedding last year and thank goodness that my daughter got stung by a bee right when everyone mm. was sitting down and she had, I mean, she had been stung by a wasp before, but never a bee. And I'm super thankful she wasn't allergic because it was first exposure. But anyway, so I, I right away, I pulled out lavender and, and it, it went away. I, I, I think there's some place for it there. I don't know about like supplement wise or any, but I mean, lavender tea. Yeah, because I know lavender is a really good thing that helps uh, lower high cortisol as well. So I wasn't sure if there was a component to it. And cortisol is a a big factor in histamine. So, and even just putting the bottle of lavender underneath your nose or, uh, you know, smelling a fresh lavender plant can really help with that cortisol. Yeah. Yeah. So we labeled a lot of stuff. We, We tried to break down what histamine is. You know, a lot of people don't know that it is a neurotransmitter. Little things like that are very good information to know. Um, and all of the stuff that we've talked about tonight, we've done previous podcasts. So we talked to mold, we talked to EMF, we talked vaccines, we talked, uh, parasites, we've talked estrogen dominance. We talked pesticides. We talked food additives. We talked all this stuff we've covered on previous episodes. Now you understand why they're so important. Now you understand like the biochemistry of the main factor that is creating all of the pain and suffering that people get from these root causes. So I think this is a really good podcast. I thought that was a really um, efficient podcast and a lot of people can uh, take this information and and do really good for themselves. Yeah. I think that there is, there's so much uh, support that can be had. There's so much information out there. It's hard to know where to get started. And no matter what, like there's some of these herbs and things that help are helpful, but ultimately if you're not getting after the root cause, then it's going to, it's going to be this like never ending, you know, hamster wheel of you trying to go after histamine when you just keep not hitting the mark. And, and so, you know, living in mold can be a factor, but parasites can be a factor. And so try to start, you know, going after it one by one. We've talked about this before, but we, you know, both of us start would start with parasites when yeah. you're going after root cause starting with parasites, cause it holds in metals, it holds in viruses, it holds everything in. And so you really want to go after parasites first. And so go check out that episode if you have not. Yeah. So similar to how I was telling you about how the VDR and the COMT gene have been the two most common things I've seen in patients. Um, One of the things I've been doing is I've been asking with hand modes, 
uh, I've scanned all their methylation through all the vials and then say, say five to seven different, uh, enzymes show up. Essentially I'll ask what's the priority toxins and I'll scan all my toxin vials. And the two most common are without, I'll give you uh, two most common. We'll just stay there. Parasites, number one and pesticides, number two. And when I put, if I find the remedies for those and I put them on the body and then recheck the methylation, 75% of them are gone. And pesticides are, and that can seem like a, just like a really hard battle. Cause it's everywhere. It's, almost, it's impossible. I mean, even, even, okay. I remember years ago, I remember Dr. Mark Hyman. I, I don't ever listen to or watch him. Some of his stuff. He's, a, I'm, yeah, he's, anyway. he's probably pro vaccine by this point. He is. No, he is. Yeah, there you go. I didn't, I didn't even but have to listen to him. He to said know. he had his glyphosate level tested at one point. And it, and even this most, the most health conscious person still tested for glyphosate. Yeah, so, it's everywhere, folks. But I just wanted to, everyone knows Mark Hyman. So you could say like the most health, one of the most health conscious people still tests for glyphosate and it's because it's everywhere. And so you don't, don't live in fear. Please don't, that will just drive your histamine up higher. And yeah. that's not a good thing. But that's right. also know that like, it's good to be mindful. Eating organic is a big factor. You know, there's definitely things that you can do to wash your produce. Um, those are big factors too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, take, how do you eat an elephant? Uh, one bite at a time. So yeah. health journey is a marathon, not a sprint. And, and does, it, it helps. I, I'm off all my meds. I mean, like I've been yeah. off for two years or three years, four years. I don't know. It's been, it's been years. And so it is worth it. Um, just, just go it. And don't just stop after two weeks. Don't do what I did. Um, but <laughs> technically I need to say that, but <laughs> also know that like, it is possible, uh, to, to get some, to get some change and to see healing. Absolutely. It, it will be the best, uh, journey that you've ever taken for yourself and for your children and for your loved ones. So, uh, before we end it off, uh, Lauren always, you know, talks about our favorite little two sentences. Yes. This is not meant to be medical advice. This is meant to be educational, Please speak with your healthcare provider before changing anything as well. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a rating and review. We really appreciate hearing from you and <laughs> we will see you on the next episode of Red Pill Your Healthcast. See you everybody.